Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is the London is Blue podcast. Your home for the champions of England. Bringing all Chelsea fans together here, near, and far. Hosted by Dan, Nick, and Brandon. We are back, Chelsea fans, with another episode of the London is Blue podcast presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. Joining me are your two favorite co-hosts, Nick and Dan. Dan, how did uh, you take in the early morning match today? Or maybe we should just call it a draw, the early morning draw. Yeah, you know, it was... uh you know, not not one of my favorite drawings. You know, it wasn't a uh, wasn't a Picasso, and uh, you, know, you know, Nick, who, who, who might your favorite artist be? You know, who's your draw drawing specialist? Mm, artist. I mean, if if, uh, if we're talking like Stan Lee comic books, then you know that's pretty cool. But artists in general, really into Foo Fighters right now, they kind of paint pictures with their mouth. I like how we've already averted from the match that already took place. <laughs> we are a minute yep. in, and we've already said, going a different direction this time. Don't want to talk well, about look, it. You, you give Dan and I room to improvise, and this is what happened. You, we need bumper lanes. We need to be... It, it is now a art and music commentary podcast, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, which actually is quite fitting for talking about Arsenal. Well, you know... Bringing the uh, the lanes back in is Carlos Juan RF on Instagram asking, uh, why did today happen? You know, like overall, I mean, just quick hits, like right off the bat, you give me your hot take with what you thought kind of why it happened, I guess, Dan. I mean, 
Uh, <laughs> all right. Man, there's a lot of reasons, but uh, I would say per- personnel assignment was probably the the overlying problem. Same thing for you, Nick. Uh, today happened, uh, Carlos Juan RF, because Sunday comes after Saturday. Um, and overall, I feel like that is why today happened. All right. You went with the very literal interpretation there, Nick. I Look, I'm a literal guy. You have to ask me a very specific question. I'll give you a very specific answer. Well, there you go, listeners. Nick giving you the cliff notes on how to get a real answer out of him. Um, but thankfully, you know, we do have some iTunes reviews. In case you uh, didn't know, we give shout-outs on the pod for five-star reviews. So if you want to go ahead and get a nice little shout-out from one of us, it'll be Nick this week. Go ahead and drop that five-star review. So what do we have, like six of them this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys came in strong after the four-star last week. I think I think we had some sympathy <laughs> sympathy ads, which is good. But uh, Rejay23, um, talking about my deep bass and disappointment after a loss. I'm glad that I can impact you like that. That's good. Uh, Jcat2129 uh, from the USA. Mex80 Lemus. Drew Beck11. Alter Reality um, in the US store, but it's coming from Nepal, which is awesome. So thank you for your ad. And then Savage Morrow is from Canada. And, uh, and he says we're the first post Sunday pod they listen to. So mad respect to everybody who threw in uh, iTunes reviews today. We really appreciate it. And then go ahead and follow up that praise train are our two newest members on Patreon. Again, they decided to support our pod financially. Thank you, Shane and Akshay. Akshay, we're going to be answering your question a little bit later. So we're going to go ahead. A real quick message from World Soccer Shop. And when we are back, it is all Arsenal. You don't want to miss it. Here we go. Quick heads up, everyone, that World Soccer Shop has the brand new sexy kind of camo slate gray third kit. Dan, which player might you be getting on the back of that that nice little kit? Hands down, Bakioko would be the number one choice. Need a midfield general on the back of your uh, back. I see, I see a lot of Rudigers out there too, which I, you know, I think overall is a, a good call. So, go to worldsoccershop.com, uh, use our referral link, support our show. It is a, it's a great way to kind of show them some love, show us some love. Do that. All right, here we go. All Arsenal review. We all know what happened. It was the Premier League match at Stamford Bridge. It was this past Sunday, September 17th. In case you somehow missed it, it was a 0-0 draw. Um, at Loyal Ellis, Loyal USU fan, I apologize, tweeted at us and our friends at the FanCast saying, any big takeaways from this match? I mean, we're going to have a lot. Like, don't you worry. We've got plenty of takeaways. But before we get into those, we do want to do our lineups, as always, Dan. Um, a lot of guesses at what was going to happen after Karabag midweek. And what did the Don Conte run with this time? Yeah, a lot, a lot of guesses, a lot of us looking stupid with our guesses. Um, Courtois in the back, which made a lot of sense. Azpilicueta Luis. Gary Cahill returns to the lineup after uh, his first Premier League game after the 18th minute red card uh, suspension three-match ban. Victor Moses, Angola Conte, Cesc Fabregas, Marcus Alonso, William, Pedro, and Morata round out the starting 11 and on the bench we saw Zapacosta, Christensen, Rudiger, Bakayoko, Hazard, Bashwai and the other man behind the sticks, Willie C. I mean, I think just jumping right into this Nick talking about the lineup side, Cahill started over Rudiger. Uh what did you think about that? 
I was surprised, to be honest with you. You know, I think that Cahill playing midweek was a, a sign that he, he might not be playing at the weekend um, after missing three matches due to red card suspension. So uh, I was very surprised after how well Rudiger played um, in the first uh, four matches of Premier League season that uh, that Cahill kind of came in. Um, you know, I think... We know the scoreline, no goals were given up, but I think from an overall performance standpoint, uh, you know, like we said last week, this is a meritocracy. So uh, either Rudiger picked up an injury that we're not aware of or Cahill earned his spot back. And if so, we should all applaud him for for outworking Rudiger in, in training. Dan, I, uh, we got a lot of questions about the midfield. So uh, at JPG174907, asked that again to us and the Chelsea fan cast. Were mistakes made in our team setup, namely in the midfield? So obviously the midfield was Fabregas and Conte, two-man midfield. Was that the right choice? Do you think now that we have hindsight, which is always twenty twenty after the fact? Yeah, which which is the benefit moment, right? Because we can look back at the end of the match. I mean, it's the same thing when you you know play FIFA or play any sport or you know have a, a contest. When you can look back at all the different decisions, yeah, it's very easy to say it, it was wrong. But I think we've lost, unfortunately, to Arsenal enough in recent memory in um, you know cup competitions to know that uh, a midfield with Fabregas and Conte uh, does not do the best job. Even with them and Ozil out uh, due to injury, I uh, was not good. Uh, I mean, I, I think I was genuinely shocked that Bakayoko started on the bench. And I know fitness has been a part of this situation for him, too. But, Nick, I'll, I'll tell you, man, like, I walked away from that point feeling very concerned about the match just because, you know, there's the lack of height, the lack of physicality. And, you know, that, that's what I felt like this match needed and what we had been missing the last couple times we played Arsenal. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think overall uh, it didn't look like we learned a whole lot from our past couple of, of run-ins with them. Um, you know, when, when they've gone to this back three, against us to kind of mirror our formation um they've done a lot of pressing like even more pressing than we've done and i don't think that our our midfield in particular really handled that well um passing was all over the place and i think you know we'll get into some of this stuff but uh did not look like the energy enthusiasm or uh or general awareness of what arsenal wanted to do was was there from chelsea today and you know, might have been one of those rare matches where Antonio Conte just uh, didn't didn't bring it from the uh, from his coaching perspective either. So normally this is the point where we get to uh, cover quite a few goals, but there's nothing in this match to talk about. I mean, if you want to stretch it, Dan, I could let you talk about Arsenal's goal that was called offsides. Oh, man, he he was so far offside too. That was. Oh man, and he just kept on like what was it? There was the meme where someone was like, it was the Simpsons, and uh, it's uh, Grandpa Simpson sitting down talking to the kids, and he's telling them about you know a story, and that uh, Mustafi, you know, the legend is that he's still celebrating his goal somewhere in the distance. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, that that fan that ran onto the pitch. Do you guys see this? He no. Was like, oh my gosh! Yes. He, yeah. He celebrated the disallowed goal and then got freaking whacked by security. It was hilarious. Like, if you're gonna oh, run on the no. pitch, it's like your team wins the Super Bowl. All right. Well, I'm gonna you know do something crazy. No, this dude. <laughs> this dude got probably banned from Stanford Bridge and you know from Premier League grounds for a, a long time for a disallowed goal. Classic Arsenal. Worth it, blood. Worth it. Oh, jeez, that is that is brutal. But you got to make uh, sure. I mean, come on. 
everyone saw it. Uh, but thankfully, that was about to ruin my day before it had even gotten going. So thankfully, we're just going to move on, guys, because there's a ton to talk about. I mean, right off the bat, let's just go ahead and uh, not talk about Pedro's 1v1 goal that was a for sure, but then it didn't happen. Oh, my God. But instead... Pedro. Let's go ahead and talk about David Luiz's red card. I mean, right off the bat, this was such a huge part of the game, Nick. And I'm just going to, I guess, pitch to you uh, and see what you have to say about just kind of the whole situation that happened. So, I mean, to, to kind of relive it really quick, David Luiz kind of um, took the ball away from Sanchez. It was kind of running. Sanchez is chasing him. Uh, you know, I, I Tried to, he tried to body him off and then lost the ball and then lunged and hit uh, Kalasinac, um, you know, with a with a high boot and, and and it was a red card. Like, make no mistake about it. I'm not complaining about the red card. In real time, it looked horrible. Um, in slow mo, it looked a little bit better. Um, I don't think he caught him fully, but uh, Kalasinac is also a tank of a dude. So uh, I think you know, had it been one of their more frail players, he might have broke him in half. Um, but look, it was it was a stupid. We're gonna get an explicit rating on the show, flat out, Brandon. This is what we're doing. It was a stupid fucking thing to do, okay? And I think the most frustrating part of this whole thing was that David Luiz may have had the best game of any Chelsea player up to that point. Was playing really well. Was commanding the air. Uh, was taking balls off people. Was running through the midfield trying to start attacks. And and man, just lost his head again uh, I think was a little bit pissed off because of the right before halftime incident where uh, Lacazette pushed him into the advertising hoarding and he kind of I don't know looks like he might have hurt his wrist or got scratched up or something and he tumbled into the, the the ball boy as well or a steward I mean it's just kind of a kind of a, a weird day a lot of you know Arsenal Chelsea Derby is is very emotional uh, kind of high strung affair but this was stupid. This was not leadership. Uh, it's not, you know, he should have passed the ball four times before he got to that point where he was kind of cornered by Alexis Sanchez and Kolasinac and, and didn't. He made the stupid call. It was absolutely a red card. We can get into some of the other refereeing decisions in a minute, but it was just, it was just bad. It was just fucking stupid. I know that David Luiz is a passionate player, which is why we've all tipped him as essentially an on-field leader, even without the captain's armband. Um, this is kind of the second time this season we've seen that form from him, Dan. And I, I don't know. To me, like you love the passion because he's trying to lift everyone to go forward, but he has that tipping point where like it's no longer helpful and it becomes detrimental. And unfortunately, he hit that level today. Yeah, you know, I think the one thing we did our man the match poll and and you saw some of the commentary after the fact is I think to Nick's point, pretty much everyone thought that. Outside of the red card, David Luiz was the best player in the pitch for Chelsea until that exact moment. And, and I mean, this is why, you know, I, mean, I think Cesar Aspilicueta, you know, and, and, you know, is, is the, you know, in my mind, the best, you know, captain on the pitch. Uh, you know, even, you know, Captain Gary, as much as, you know, we've got to give the nod to him, uh, you know, has made some questionable decisions this season and, you know, in seasons past. Um, Man, I just it was it was so unfortunate, and it, it really was the underlining 
bit of crap that this match deserved because it, it just was not good. We were not very clinical. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it was, it was in one moment and encapsulated the entire experience of watching this match, like frustration, exhaustion, and, and no exhilaration. It's, yeah, it's just disappointing. I thought Chelsea did a pretty good job of holding it together the last 10 minutes without him, uh, just from a formation and like a, a shape standpoint. We're still able to try to kind of push on for a little bit of something at home. But uh, Christensen obviously had to come in as the uh, kind of emergency last sub and and get us back to our three-man defense. But I tell you what, it is, uh, it's hard to have that happen again because – like what's nuts is Chelsea already have three red cards this season and we didn't have any last season in Conte's first run before that in the Mourinho um, disaster season, there were five. And then in the title winning season, there were four. So to me, it's just kind of like Chelsea are known for having some red cards. You know, like it happens throughout the season in general. But we've already got three. Like it seems way too early. And I guess I'm, I don't know if it's a discipline issue or it's totally just situational and they're kind of one-off things. Uh, but I think it's something to keep our eye on because we don't have like super depth to be able to take red cards, you know, a couple every single month. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're you're totally right. I mean, the the problem, especially when you look at who's getting the red cards, uh, you have Gary Cahill, captain, David Luiz, captain, um, essentially. I mean, on on the pitch, he's a leader and they're they're two of the most pivotal players in our back line. Um, You know, to me, it just it's. It's not great for team chemistry. It's not great for Antonio Conte selection dilemmas. It's not great for any of that stuff. What it is great for is, I guess, getting Christensen and Rudiger more influence in the team because they're not making those stupid decisions. But, you know, overall, like that's where we're at. And it's it's a bummer because there's there's no there's no reason for it. I mean, we we can do without Sesk for a game or two, you know, if you know if it's a second yellow kind of sol- uh, solution, but David Luiz might have been our most influential player last year, maybe. I mean, Angelo Conte was great, Hazard was great, but I mean, David Luiz was a revelation. Now we lose him and with this slate of games coming up for three matches, man, it's a, it's just is a boneheaded decision and it's it's very unlike him. You know, we, we thought that good David Luiz has kind of turned the corner. It's a bummer, man. It's a bummer to see him kind of regress. Uh, I think here's the other thing is that just kind of looking back in recent history, you know, Sunderland, uh, 2009, 2010 had nine red cards. So, you know, given current pace, you know, five matches in the season, we, we could beat their you know red card record. Um, you know, it, it's something that, I think Antonio Conte and the the club really have to start to to look into and, and and figure out how to I don't know just just coach you know to the the other point the discipline into maybe not making some of the these challenges because they've been you know studs up you know tackles that have not not looked pretty and then upon replay are not you know not the things that you know any player should really kind of be doing. 
Well, Dan, go ahead and keep talking on Christensen, actually, and the fact that, hey, we are going to see him, as far as we can tell, for three matches. Yeah, the, uh, the Danish prince, as I know, uh, yeah, Tweeds and I like to think about. And, uh, I mean, it's exciting. It's, it's unfortunate that, you know, Rudiger had to go get a great run of games under a, a Cahill suspension. It's going to be unfortunate that, you know, Christensen has, you know, the opportunity now to come into the side and perform because of Luis' suspension. But, I mean, one of the most accurate passers in the uh, Premier League so far this season, um, yeah, I think he's in the, the 98 plus percentile for pass accuracy. Uh, looks very calm, very collected. Uh, I think one or two people called out that he had a, a bit of a hefty touch on Sanchez and the, the very closing moments of the game that probably was not. Uh, the, the most professional, but I mean, you come in off the bench and are expected to help lock it down in the kind of crazy moments with 10 men uh, versus 12, you know, it's a little difficult. So I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think Christensen is talent. I think he is a, a future first teamer, uh, you know, and now a first teamer for the squad. And I, I think it's going to be exciting. I, th- I think he's also played on the big stage of the Champions League before for uh, Mönchengladbach. So I'm not concerned in any way, shape, or form that he can't deliver over this next string of games before the international break. Yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly what we're going to find out. Um, it who knew, Nick, we were going to need so much depth in our defense, where thankfully we have it due to red cards this season. That just kind of came out of nowhere to us, obviously. Yeah, yeah, injuries you would have thought, but man, yeah, it's been kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you. I could imagine that we'll see, you know, the we'll probably see Louise in the Champions League match, and then you'll get a chance to see uh, Christensen in the remaining matches. Yeah, that makes sense. You've got, uh, you know, Stoke, September 23rd, um, and then Man City, September 30th. And I'm assuming since it's... Um, Premier League, it's FA related. He'll David Luiz off to sit Nottingham Forest as well. Does that sound right? Yes, he will. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Obviously, he's going to have a big one in City that he's going to have to step up and uh, be the leader. So we'll see how it goes. Obviously, just hoping all the best for him. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about our second question. It seemed like Conte set up in an attacking formation with Fabregas and Conte in the middle compared to going with the Bakayoko partnership. Uh, what did you make of the attack? going forward nick in the first half until the switch at halftime um you know the first few minutes were fine um but you know again i i I was very confused by this you know bakayoko played very well um against leicester city um you know i think that when you when you kind of map it out uh you know he's a much better more dominant fit for that two-man partnership in the midfield if you aren't going to play the three then sesk is and it's it's a bummer to not see him play he's obviously match fit now you know and and i think that he would have done a job uh for for all 90 minutes uh against an arsenal team that was uh that was pretty light in the middle um you know i think we again you know i think sesk just didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity with all the pressing that was going on and and what we needed was a guy in bakayoko who could break up play and then take the ball forward and create um opportunities for those um who didn't have time so it's it's a it's a tough uh tough thing to to look at in retrospect because you know what bakayoko's uh bakayoko is capable of and yeah dan i, I just didn't really understand that one yeah, I think 
looking back at the starting 11 and I mean, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about hazard later, but I think that the entirety of this lineup was wrong for, for the match at hand. You know, I think even with the uh, Ozil out, which I think probably, I don't know, I, I might have preferred a lineup with Ozil in it um, because he goes yeah. missing and he's on the pitch and uh, that's better than actually allowing them to have another player on it. And you know, it would have been nice to kind of start with that steal, to start with the defensiveness. And I think the the tactical acumen that Bakayoko is able to bring in the match in addition to his ability to, to shrug off players. And you know, there were a couple of times where, you know, people were, you know, literally hanging on to the guy and he's turning around and pulling the ball forward and, and moving the ball at the pitch as, you know, he's, you know, one or two people are trying to kind of pull him down and tear him away. So I just, it really was not set up. I, I don't actually think it was set up as an attacking lineup, you know, as much as having, you know, Pedro and, and William up top there, you know, I think that, you know, we kind of talk about a three, five, two, you know, allowing Cess to be there with hazard with, you know, Murata would have given us kind of more flexibility because what we saw is we saw the, you know, really Alonzo getting embarrassed a couple times by the, the speed that, uh, that Bellerin had and Cahill wasn't really much help to him in, in any way, shape or form. And then on the kind of the other side, Kalasinic was really, really making it difficult for Moses. I mean, Moses was getting up forward to attack, but he was having to backtrack a lot. And Aspilqueta had a, a very busy day uh, on his hands because of that. So I, I think Wenger has found a really great ability to use, you know, his wing backs in, in Bellerin and Kalasinic to really challenge, I think, the skill set of, you know, Moses and, and Alonso, which is what made it probably the day the most difficult. And that's where being able to kind of distribute back in versus out to the flanks was a bit of a challenge because when you distribute it in, Fabregas was not really winning the ball in the same way Conte would or Bakayoko did later in the match. What I thought was interesting, uh, obviously it was a huge change having Bakayoko come in. Um, Why I guess I said it was offensive is because you assume that Arsenal, you know, they're not going to be like pushing as hard as normal in the midfield. They had Ramsey and, um, oh, who was next to Ramsey in the midfield today? Shaka. Uh, oh, yeah. Shaka. Yeah, Wobi yeah, was up in the front three. That's right. Oh, he was. I mean, Shaka uh, had that, that shot from outside. He did. That, you know, so, I mean, they, they, they you know, Ramsey and Shaka are, are a strong enough pairing to push Fabregas around. And, you know, Conte, is, as much as he, he is a little bit of a motor, you know, when you think about the fact that Alonso is having to be, you know, displaced and Kalashinis is forcing, you know, Aspilqueta and Moses kind of deeper in, it really didn't make it easy for any type of movement of the ball, which was, you know, where, where the problem was. So I, I think offensively, like even though you kind of say like it was set up offensively, like my mind offensively is not a lineup involving Sesk in the middle kind of with Conte and having Pedro and William who both been a little kind of off form when it comes to kind of goal scoring um, comparative to their, you know, like, uh, you know, putting Hazard and Morata together and allowing Sess to kind of dip back and distribute with a little bit more time with Bakayoko and Conte on both sides. Well, obviously Bakayoko came in and made a huge impact. 
He was the only player to complete every pass and every take on he attempted versus Arsenal. Uh, only player on the pitch to do so. I mean, obviously, he only had 45 minutes to do it versus some of the other guys who played 90. But, I mean, instant impact. Nick, I think what Bakayoko does, kind of like what Modic does, right, is him and Conte can keep the shape and lock down the midfield and allow those attacking players to go forward. When we have Fabregas in there, when we have William unable to tackle back today and win the ball, I think that's where a lot of it fell apart was that our midfield was just too much in flux. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's a, it's a pressing issue, too. Again, uh, you know, I think the Chelsea of last year pressed a lot more than we've seen so far this year. Uh, this year, it seems like we're a lot more passive and, and really just playing angles and, and playing uh, long balls. Um you know, Angola Conte was the only one to, to match the pressing today. Um, William really struggled, who's another, you know, kind of motor. And, it, and it, it sucked because, you know, that's just not what Sesk is supposed to be doing. Sesk is supposed to be providing, and he can't provide if we don't have the ball. And we're not going to get the ball uh, unless Angola Conte does something magical. And you don't want to rely on that every single match. Like, it's just kind of old and, and tired. And so, yeah, without without another kind of big body in the midfield or, or a willing tackler, yeah, we really struggled. If you kind of look at our chances created, they are significantly farther outside the box than Arsenal's as well. Even though we both had eight, uh, we even outshot them 13-11. But again, Chelsea's just are in, they were just in less dangerous positions today. And I think a lot of us probably could feel that. Um, Jamie99CFC says, we we didn't have any intensity in today's game. How do you guys feel about that? Or is it just me that saw it that way? Um, you know, I think that it's weird. You're hosting Arsenal at home, a London rival, a Premier League rival. Like you get, you should have no problem getting up for this match, right? Like it's not Stoke away. It's not Burnley home opener, whatever it is. Like, I don't know. To me, I thought we started really well, right? Like we pressed them, created some turnovers in the offensive third. But I guess Dan, to me, it just didn't really kick on from there. Like the middle 20 minutes seemed really flat and it was kind of hard to, come back from that until halftime one of the commentators even said on NBC right now Chelsea need halftime more than Arsenal which is crazy to think of yeah really really struggled to pull off sustained movement of play and and it goes back to the lineup it goes back to the midfield and you know I think the intensity you know and and look you know we, we Diego Costa is essentially you know persona non grata but ultimately, you know, when he was in these matches against Arsenal, you know, his, his windup of the defenders, you know, as much as it might, you know, get him a little bit of a talking to or, or get him in trouble was something that, you know, I, I think we really missed today is that no one was, you know, getting in the face of the opposition, making them scared that this striker was going to come in and bury a goal at any moment. And I don't think anyone that Arsenal side or any of those Arsenal supporters were really, really frightened, which is a, a weird thing to think about. Like it's rivalry time, right? Like Nick in America, the football games that are always the most hyped up are the rivalry matches. Cause they are perennially the biggest games. There's the most energy, the biggest plays, like the most exciting stuff happens. And that did not happen at all today. I mean, we might as well have watched West Ham, West Brom for God's sakes. It just was, 
not what you would expect. Like in this type of environment, the way Arsenal played on Thursday, they limped into it. We dominated Karabag midweek, like we should have in the Champions League. I mean, this just really took the wind out of the sails to me. Yeah, well, I mean, look, this is to me why I predicted a really tight match because just when you think all the momentum's on our side, just when you think none of it's on their side, just when you think they're falling apart, just when you think that we're rising, this happens at the Premier League. Um, it's unfortunate because I think Chelsea really had a, a chance to bury a team that that we love to bury. Um, they just didn't they didn't have it today for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why. Um, you know, outside of the three one win last year at the bridge Chelsea's not done very well against Arsenal the last five six times that we played them um you know the the day of the six nil guys that was that was what three years ago now um you know this team is is you know I, I don't know if the momentum's shifting between the two sides or whatnot but just not the uh, not the response that you would have wanted and you know especially without Hazard boy um you know, that's it's kind of tough to to compensate for with with William and Pedro. Perfect. Let's go into Hazard. Obviously, he came on way too late in the match for all of us fans. We wanted to see him from the beginning. He only got about 22 minutes in this match. I tell you what, that guy is ready to go. He came off the bench so hungry. I saw something I don't think I've ever seen before. He took a throw in. Okay, Hazard never does that. He's like, no, no, you throw it to me. But he pushed the tempo, pushed the team going forward. I mean, he ran everywhere to get the ball, to try to make something happen. Had a pretty good shot that he got off. But, I mean, the question that all of us have is from 5 Alid underscore Raisi, when will Conte start Hazard? Dan, we are wondering the same thing, aren't we? Dude looks ready. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, afterwards the insinuation in the press conference uh, post match was that we should expect to see him versus Nottingham Forest. You know, I think the the thought may be maybe see him for forty five, uh, you know, sixty, depending upon how he's playing, and then you you know give him the whole match versus uh, versus Stoke. But man, like I think we could have used that so much sooner in the match. You know, even even ten minutes earlier would I think have given him a difference. Uh, I honestly though think with it being a you know what you know Conte would say as a top six side, I I, I would have started him, and I think he looked every bit on the pitch as someone who was ready to make a difference with his play. And I, I just think he really ran out of time to, to influence. I mean, by the point that he was really kind of starting to motor, you know, Louise kind of comes in with a, you know, nasty challenge and, you know, really kind of ends any thought about, you know, making one last push to win the game versus just seeing and shipping home a nil, nil draw. All right, Nick, I, I so I call it the Hazard effect, right? I mean, it it almost looked like Conte was holding Hazard back, waiting to see what Wenger did. And when Wenger threw on Sanchez, Conte was like, "All right, I got a match, big gun versus big gun." Well, yeah, I think the the frustrating thing for us though was that the game was calling out for him in the fiftieth minute, you know, and. 
having seen him play for Belgium, having seen him, you know, all the training videos and having seen him come on, um, you know, it, it just, you know, it was kind of frustrating that he didn't get on earlier. Um, you know, Bakayoko comes on at halftime. You're like, all right, we're, we're, we mean business. Um, and then, you know, Hazard doesn't come on for another 30 or 25 minutes after that. And, you know, by that point, it's, it, you know, I, I texted you guys in the group. It, it's really hard to make an impact in only 20 minutes. You know, the game, you have to grow into the game and then you only have about 10 minutes left and then you're kind of hoping and praying. Um, he did look dangerous, but I mean, the rest of the team was leggy by that point, you know, and, and so it's kind of him doing his own thing, taking on three people. And, and that's just not a recipe for uh, success all the time. I know he's done it in the past and he's very, very capable of changing the game. But uh, but yeah, just kind of kind of a weird one. Well, and you look at his he has a fantastic goal scoring record against, you know, we consider the the big six sides. So, I mean, the, I, I don't tend to think we, you know, I think we're very positive and, and very optimistic and realistic group of individuals when we come here and sit down and, and talk about this. But this is where I think, you know, you know, Conte is the one who I think takes a lot of the blame for this loss. And I honestly think that Hazard being on the bench was probably the biggest. Bakayoko and Hazard being on the bench versus starting and getting off to a really, really fast footing um, was probably the biggest disappointment of this match and, and could have been avoided. Yeah, I mean, we talked last season how it was copy-paste of the lineup. It is anything but that. Uh, obviously, more changes being forced this season than last, but I bet it is driving Conte nuts that he can't settle in on a formation with the same players week in, week out, at least in the Premier League, to create that bond and consistency and chemistry that these guys need. I'm really hoping that Bakayoko will finally get to 100% fitness. Hazard looks like he's close because, as you said, Dan, those guys are going to be big. Uh, Christensen's going to give us a go, see what we can do. Uh, and we'll probably see Rudiger. A lot of matches still coming up yet this month. It's kind of crazy to take it all in, but um, I want to go ahead and open it up to you guys and just see if you have any other thoughts out of this match, anything that kind of stood out to you that we didn't touch on um, before we move on. Uh, Nick, kick it off with you. Uh, yeah, I think I think Willie and Pedro are very disappointing today. I mean, flat out. And, and you know, we usually, you know, if, if the match doesn't go our way, you know, we can talk about one of those two positions as, you know, maybe not being up to snuff. I think they were both bad. Um, you know, Pedro obviously missed a sitter, um, should have done way better there. Uh, William lost the ball all over the pitch today. Um, and... You know, it's uh, it's frustrating because we know both of them have come up big in matches, uh, you know, all last year. And and William especially has looked up for it this year. Um, you know, uh, just just not not a great performance from either of them. And it made it hard on Murata to kind of gel because he wasn't getting passes. He was losing the ball. You know, our, our front was just not not in sync today. Uh, hard to score goals that way. And, and we didn't. Dan, what about you? Um, you know, I think we were hit up on Twitter by uh, Colin Tucker, and you know, he made the comment that uh, Courtois saved the game for us. He made a couple of really, you know, high class saves uh, throughout the match, and I think is, you know, probably went under the radar as uh, being one of the reasons we walk away with one point rather than uh, zero points. So, uh, goalkeepers union, Brandon, I'm all for that. The unsung hero, per usual. 
Um, I would like to point out that I thought it was kind of weird that we went away from our recipes of success, which is crosses early and from everywhere to Marata. Felt like we really gave the guy zero service. I don't know what we expected him to do different compared to what has worked for him so well in the past, but uh, our crosses, we had 16 today, and um, literally, I think all but one of them were blocked. Like, if I'm looking at these Squawka stats correctly, one was completed, and I'm pretty sure it was the Marcos Alonso to Victor Moses crossfield switch. Wasn't even really a cross. Uh, so to me, I thought that that was a little disappointing because I would bet that we could beat Arsenal in the air all day long, but it didn't happen. Uh, just a quick note, too, on the refereeing. Um, I think Michael Oliver had a pretty poor day overall. Um, I'm, I'm getting more and more frustrated by the lack of consistency. I mean, we've talked about this almost every Premier League match week now. Uh, the fact that Kolasinic didn't have a yellow card by the time he got his first one is insane to me uh same with mustafi i think there were bad challenges all over the pitch that were just awarded as fouls and then and then again david louise which was a red card uh, ad, you know accurately called um there were there were challenges even after that that you're like man come on like you have to ward yellows like we know what the red is you have to ward yellows for some of these and, and he wouldn't do it um i thought that he was he was pretty bad and he's supposed to be the best of them, I think now, uh, now that Clattenburg's gone, which is, uh, ugh, well, yikes, man, like not good. So, uh, I think, I think I, I riled some people up. Uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, on Twitter. I mean, I didn't blame the, the draw on, on refereeing alone. That's not what I was saying. Uh, just very annoyed that Chelsea can't get anything at home. Uh, when I think other teams <coughs> United, uh, get everything. And so, you know, just, just throwing that out there. All right, Nick, go ahead and keep on rolling into uh, your man of the match poll, which I, you know, or I guess this is Dan. I apologize. Um, definitely not an easy one this week, to say the least. Yeah, you know, I think a couple shouts for Louise, and uh, I, I, I DQ'd him. I think if you uh, don't finish the match as a eligible player probably should not make it to the man of the match poll. So we went with Bakayoko Hazard. Conte and Moses, there was a clear winner. 46% went with Bakayoko. Uh, I did not have a chance to put Michael Oliver there on there, Nick. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, he certainly influenced it. So, All right. Well, as it stands, uh, Chelsea are still in third place, so we maintain that so far. Newcastle nipping at the heels. Uh, Mark Walrath on Facebook said... He was very disappointed that Chelsea didn't do the business today with Liverpool and Tottenham dropping points. You know, thankfully, other teams are dropping points as well. And um, it wasn't, you know, all to be lost at this point. But um, right now we're level with the same amount of points that we had to start the 16-17 season. Uh, Man City's two points behind uh, their start to last season. And... According to how we've done the last 10 years, Dan, I mean, it seems to look like we're okay, maybe, maybe not. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, there there are a couple times, you know, in the the oh nine ten the uh, 10, 11, where we kind of started off hot, you know, 15 out of 15 over five matches. Uh, but last two started with 10 points. Uh, you know, our average is 11.2 uh, from 2008 to now. So last 10 seasons, uh, it's technically 12 points. If you knock out the four for 15, 16, that we kind of all want to, you know, bleach out of yep. our memory banks. We do. Um, so, you know, we're a little off our average, but when you have a couple 15s in there, it's really hard. But, I mean, it's it's nowhere near the worst start we've had to a season, and it's pretty on par with, with where we tend to be. And, you know, we've started at 10 before and won the Premier League. And the teams at the top right now, you know, United and, you know, United is having a much better start to their season and City are two points off where they were last season because they won their first five. And Pep Guardiola had won the, you know, won the Premier League in September. So... Um, plenty of time for the narrative to shift and there's only a five point gap right now between 11th place and first place. All right. Well, I think we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this part before we roll on into your social media questions. So if we missed anything in this part about Arsenal that you want to get in touch with us about, make sure to get in touch via social media or email as well. So we're going to do a real quick message as we always do. And then we'll be right in with your social media questions. Here we go. Hey guys, uh, just a quick message about World Soccer Shop. Uh, You know where to find them on social media by now, but in case you haven't visited their social channels lately, they're doing some pretty awesome content, especially on Instagram stories. So go follow them at World Soccer Shop without uh, without the O. Uh, So it's just, you know, you'll you'll find them though, the blue check mark. Uh, find them on Instagram, follow them on Twitter, and then uh, like them on Facebook as well. Uh, they'll post promotions, they'll post fun content, uh, helps us out. Do it. Okay, no surprise here, guys. Social media question time. We got a ton of them. Um, kicking us off, though, one of the perks of being a Patreon member is your question gets answered at the top of the queue. So, actually asked, how did three Americans get into the Premier League and become such awesome Chelsea fans? Um, I guess, Dan, do you, do you want to start off with your quick abbreviated come to Chelsea story? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think you know it's a it's a great question, and I know we've told the story a couple times before, but you know, after a record-setting week of of downloads for the uh, momentary pat in the back, and <laughs> um, you know, we know that we always have new listeners coming to the show, and you know, I, I mean, really, to me, Michael Ballack, you know, brought me to wanting to you know follow Chelsea, and you know that. German stalwart and you know our midfield and you know having him as an attacker you know really brought me to to fall in love with the club so I think it's uh it's really awesome that uh you know thank you Akshay for the question and thank you for being a supporter and uh, I know Nick you 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 have a bit of a different story it's not just based on a player it was more a friendship and a bond that brought you to Chelsea Right. Yeah. So my, my good friend, Joe, uh, Joe Madden, who's, uh, you know, we just grew up together and, and have been really great fans and, uh, everything like that. We were roommates in college and he went to, to go see Chelsea play the MLS all-stars came back smitten, um, bought a whole bunch of stuff uh, while he was up there. And, uh, and so, yeah, we started watching matches together and, you know, I really got into it and, 
right before I went to study uh, for the summer at Oxford University and uh, went down to Stanford Bridge and, you know, saw the stadium and, you know, came back. And, you know, I mean, that's that's almost 10 years ago now. So it's it's been a decade, a decade long, long obsession, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, mine's a little bit different as well. Growing up playing soccer my whole life, uh, I had a lot of friends that watched the Premier League and everyone was Liverpool United. So, you know, I always like to be different, hence why I was a goalkeeper. Uh, and then I pretty much got on the Petr Cech train. And uh, when he joined Chelsea, that was an easy decision for me, an easy reason of why I wanted to follow. So, yeah, that's pretty much my quick story. And as we've said, it has grown immensely since then. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, keep on going. So we have one from uh, some questions in general just about the defensive setup uh, at Tem underscore CFC as how would you set up against teams who keep possession better than us? And do we need to adopt a back four at the back? Uh, Nick, what do you think about the back four kind of idea? I think that's interesting. Um, I'm not. I'm not a fan of this, to be honest with you. I, re- I really think what we have going on with the, with the back three and the wing backs is so fluid and gives us so many different outlet options. Um, and and you look, if Antonio Conte thought the back four would be the best lineup, we'd see it, but we don't see it. So I, I think that's just kind of how I feel about it as well. Um, second thing would be that we don't have really right now a traditional you know, right and left back um, in that way. Like, I, I guess Alonzo could do that job, but, um, you know, you would prefer to kind of stick with the personnel that we have. I think we built a team around a back three uh, with our center backs, and, uh, and that's just kind of where we'll stay. Uh, talking about crossing and Alonzo's defense, Matt James Mac 94 on Instagram and Brett Wilkerson on Facebook. Both just kind of asking about it. Uh, does Alonzo struggle at bad defending? What about Rudiger helping to play on his side? It seemed like KL didn't really help him out. And then obviously, uh, you know, just talking about Alonzo then going forward as an attacker, just not having the crosses that we needed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate. I, I do think, you know, there were a couple times where you were looking for where where in the world was Gary Cahill and it should be a really easy game to play with 11 blue shirts on a pitch. And, you know, Lonzo is, is chasing down Bellerin who, you know, I mean, I think I kind of chuckled when I saw he had like the highest rate of pace in, in FIFA 18 and, and maybe I, I shouldn't have been chuckling as much. Um, but yeah, I, I think there was definitely an opportunity for that pairing and, and he definitely has seemed more comfortable playing with Rudiger behind him. And I think we'll most assuredly feel even more comfortable with Hazard in front of him uh, because on both ends, it frees up the kind of pressure on either side, right? You know, if you know Pedro or William, who hasn't been firing all, all cylinders is in front of you, you know, you're going to have to contribute a little bit more. And now if you know that Gary Cahill, who maybe isn't as, you know, athletic or, you know, as composed on the ball as as Rudiger is, you know, you're kind of then thinking about, you know, oh, crap, what, what do I got to kind of keep an eye on the back? And and then you're you're basically a man of, of two parts and you're really not getting a chance to be a specialist either. And I think from a crossing standpoint, it wasn't even just Alonzo. It was it was Alonzo, Moses, Aspilicueta. I actually think Wenger came in with a game plan to shut down the crossing lanes because they knew that you know, we like distributing a cross into Maranta to try to convert a goal when we know that some of those passing lanes aren't available. And I think credit to 
Arsenal and, and, and Wenger is that they knew and game plan to shut down the cross. You know, there was one moment where Azpilicueta was going to do the, uh, the, the trademark uh, Spanish connection. And I forget who it was. It wasn't Lacazette. It wasn't Giroud. It was someone who just basically popped the ball down as he was trying to pop in the cross and knew it was coming. And so I think they game planned for it perfectly well. So I think we were more caught off guard that they knew we were going to cross and we didn't have another way of getting the ball and that service into Morata. Yeah, and I would just quickly shout out Brett, who's a who's a uh, KC Blues member. So what up, Brett? <laughs> I guess you get the VIP treatment when you uh, hang out every Saturday. Yep. Uh, so we had some questions about our best 11. So I just want like yeses or nos from you guys. And we're all three. We'll just kind of give our, our opinions on these takes. Uh, at Jason Wyatt96 says, do you think going forward, Baka Yoko should be in the first 11 from the start? So I'm going to say yes. And I think we've yes. all said that. Yep. Yes. We're all in. All right, next one up is from Aldemaro on Facebook. Although he played the 90, I still have my reservations on playing Sesk as more than a super sub. Do any of you see him as more, a.k.a. a starter? Dan? Yes. I, Dan, sorry, Nick, Dan. guys, you're I'll, good. I'll jump you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I do see him. In a three-five-two. I definitely see him as a starter. Uh, I think he provides... Uh, something that no uh, other player on our team really has, and that's that creative vision to see passes before they even happen. He will come good. He didn't have a great game today, but absolutely when when we go into a three five two kind of setup, he's invaluable, Dan. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you know, maybe the challenge was you you played him almost a full, you know I think the full game against Karabag, and now you play him another you know almost full game here. Um, probably more an issue of tired legs and, you know, maybe not an issue of, you know, kind of his ability to impact the match. I think from a, a you know, five man midfield, absolutely a two man midfield. You kind of have to talk to me about, you know, what type of side we're going up against. Cause I don't necessarily see, um, what type of combination in a two man midfield that he's going to be, you know, excelling and be able to contribute appropriately. All right, Alvaro Hazard on Instagram says, Will Rudiger, Bakayoka, and Davide Sapacosta still be on the bench until the end of the season? No. Yeah, I think Rudiger will find his, I think, spot back pretty soon. Um, and, and I think Bakayoko is really just getting up to a point of, of fitness and comfortability with the play mechanics. And, you know, you're going to have to make rotation on the wing for for Moses you know he can't play all the games and ultimately I actually thought for a lot of the periods of the match he was playing better than he had uh, previously which I think is a hashtag Zappacosta effect we will get into more about Davide Zappacosta another one says is it time to permanently bench Pedro and Cahill a little bit of a two-for-one here gents um n- n- permanently but like Nothing's yeah, permanent. that's what they're and, saying. Yeah, no. Super no. glue, man. Yeah, You're no. not getting off that wood grain. Look, Pedro needs to get it together. And and frankly, you know, outside of his goal against Carabag, I think he's been pretty poor this season so far. But, I mean, the dude is class. You know, form is temporary. Class is permanent. Uh, he's going to come good. Uh, Cahill, obviously, it's not time to bench him permanently because he played today. Um, it, I, I don't. You know, I think we all get tied to kind of who our favorite players are. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, 
I really love N'Golo Conte, but if N'Golo Conte wasn't the best midfielder uh, to, to play in his position, I'd root for the guy who was, you know, put in his place uh, just as hard. So I don't know, man. Like, yeah, they had they had some pretty bad games, you know, collectively. But no, I mean, the, the yeah, no, I, I can't do the permanent thing. Nothing in football is permanent. No, I think you're right on that. Permanent is just too much of a commitment to, to jump on. That was from Itanzi on Instagram as well. Uh, BL Smith says, what are your thoughts on Victor Moses? Does his performance or lack thereof today provide an opportunity for Zappa to step in? Uh, I guess, do you think he was... I, this is a performance question. Was he bad enough that Zappa Costa should start ahead of him in the mentality of best players play? Uh, I, I'd say no. I mean, look, Klasinich is, I don't know, actually a fantastic business from Arsenal, a really strong signing. On a free. A tank. On a tank. Like, he's a tank. And, you know, I, I think that's probably some of the toughest competition Victor Moses is going to go up against in the entire season when it comes to, you know, going up and down the wing. Yeah, I actually thought he played really well. You know, he, he did have that one kind of, opportunity to get a shot outside the box and you know bounce off a player um but i actually thought for the most part he he had a lot of you know good forward movement in attack this match that you know it was really nice to see and actually did did some nice defensive work and winning the ball back a couple times too so uh, i wouldn't have started zappa costa but uh you know i think it's going to give us options which is always a good thing Yep, I'm. A, I'm. Look, I I love Vic, and I think he didn't play great today. But uh, yeah, not not jumping off that bandwagon just yet. Well, this will be a good one from at Angry Chelsea fan saying, "I've had enough of watching Moses fail to impress offensively. No attacking skill whatsoever. Let's get Zappa Crosta in there asap. Oh, and Sescout. So again, <laughs> we're getting a lot of mixed." emotions over these guys yeah what, uh, what uh, so here's the thing okay like uh, and look angry chelsea fan look you're kind of my spirit animal so uh, i i don't i'm not trying i'm not trying to i'm not trying to <laughs> slate you too bad here but like at the end of the day part of victor moses job is being a defender of which he has improved markedly in like just over a year's time playing the position so like yeah you know, he may leave a little bit to be desired, but he also has just as many take ons um, as as every other right back in the Premier League. Uh, I think he does provide an attacking spark. I think he does find little pockets of space in the box when he's given the opportunity. I think he does need to finish better uh, and work on some stuff. But like why? Like because Zappa Crosta, which is really kind of hard to say, scores an accidental goal and you've seen him for, you know, 90 minutes, you're, you're throwing away a year and a half's worth of work. Like, I, I can't get on with that. And also the Sesk out thing, there's no replacement for him on our team. So Sesk in, boom. All right, that seems pretty in-depth. So we'll just kind of, you know, head on over to the Cahill commentary. <laughs> uh, obviously, a lot of chat about Cahill coming back. He's going to be under the spotlight 
obviously. Um, v Factor underscore 07 says, why is there so much hatred for Cahill? Conte makes the decision after he observes them in training. Do y'all think that criticizing Cahill so harshly is justified? P.S. Rudiger is obviously better defensively, but Cahill's the captain for now, and his presence must be making a difference on the pitch. Uh, Dan, there's a lot to unwrap there. Where do you go? Yeah, Cahill is kind of like a Christmas present, right? Like, it just there's so much you get to unbox when uh, when talking about him. Look, I, I think there should always be you know a, a, a monochrome of of respect for the captaincy and that player's relationship with uh, the club, with the supporters. I think we always think about when Cahill goes to face the, the media after a loss or after a draw. Uh, is always very much the person who is willing to come forward and, and admit when you know Chelsea or himself has not had a, a good good form or good appearance. But I think what we're seeing right now is that there is a, a player behind him on the depth chart, at least today, in Rudiger, you know, has played really well in some you know tougher matches. And for the most part, I think a lot of supporters, you know, or fans would, would have struggled to understand the reasoning why or the reasoning for his selection. And, you know, I think there's a couple of their comments to talk about the fact that, you know, we kept a clean sheet. Um, Lewis, you know, uh, which you RDZ talking about the fact that, you know, the, it was the attack that didn't do the job. I mean, the thing is, with the attack, Chelsea builds all of that out of the back. And when you have passes in between Cahill to Luis, to Aspilicueta, to Luis, to Cahill, I mean, Luis and, you know, um, Cahill were, you know, when you think about, like, expected goal chain, were, like, the second and third um, highest players for contribution standpoint to, like, the potential expected goals because of the amount of times that they were touching the ball this match. It, It was a really you know, okay performance from Cahill. There was one moment where I think he tried to, you know, pop the ball and get it before it went out of bounds and almost like tripped over himself, fell into the ground, which was, I think, you know, someone put Benny Hill music to, which is, you know, very, very funny and wonderful. But I I think that, I don't know, Nick, it's just, there's a lot of like energy, emotion, anger that just goes his way. And I think part of it is, you know, justified. And I think part of it is also just, you know, complete, lunacy agreed I th- and right now i think there's just more like cahill is officially the irrational hate player of, of the chelsea team um you know look his his track record's insane guys like let's let him figure it out i i will be the first to tell you when it's his time to not be in the starting lineup anymore I'll be the guy to be like, all right, hands raised. I'm officially done uh, trying to defend all of the mistakes and blah, blah, blah. He's not our best ball playing center back. He's just not. But what he brings to the team outside of that is phenomenal. And let's not have an irrational hatred towards a member of the team that we support. Okay. Like Williams right on his tails too, for the irrational hate player, just Please let's tone some of that stuff down. We've our Twitter has done a phenomenal job, and you know you go to football Twitter and it's it's a, a destruction zone out there. Our Twitter has done a phenomenal job of supporting the team. Let's just get behind them, even if they make mistakes, and and not not just blindly praise them, but you know have have constructive criticism of, of our squad. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's hard to play at 100% every single minute of every single game. Uh, it's actually impossible. Um, but we do have some questions about Murata, so I'm going to touch on this quick. A lot of it is just about his physicality. Matt McKinney on Facebook, Nevarp on Facebook, Jeff Boston on Facebook, at Earth Muggle on Twitter, our man. Just asking, is he going to adapt from La Liga to Premier League? He needs to be more physical, got pushed off the ball. I mean, these are a lot of the questions that are surrounding him. I thought he went down far too easy a lot of times. But he's also getting waxed pretty good from Arsenal. Uh, you know, I think Mustafi and company and Kishelny probably forgot that it wasn't Diego Costa, but they were still giving him that treatment because that's what they've known for the last three seasons. Um, what do you, you, I guess, think, Nick, based on Morata's physicality? And, uh, you know, especially it's when he's chasing down the long ball, right? And he's essentially side by side with the center back. That's where I thought he really couldn't come up with anything anything all game yeah some of those shoulder to shoulder challenges he just wasn't up for unfortunately um yeah he's gonna have to learn it i mean but but no no player who enters the premier league especially from la liga uh has a super easy time of that um you know he didn't really have great service today when he did he wasn't great on the ball Uh, i think he you know he has this weird uh kind of uh zone that he gets in where he tries to do too much uh, with the ball because he hasn't touched it in a while and he tries to make stuff happen uh he, yeah he, he struggled you know and and some of the physicality in these derby matches you know you think of spurs and you think of uh you know we go up to united when we play city in a couple of weeks like he's gonna have to you know toughen up a little bit also, though, and I think 30 percent of why he didn't succeed is refereeing inconsistency. There were some that were not shoulder to shoulders. There were some that he got dragged down. There were some that he got tripped up. Uh, and and look, you know, if, if the referee lets those go the entire match, then, you know, then they're going to, you know, the defenders are going to keep doing it and it's going to make his life almost impossible. Um, so that's just what I think about that. I would say the last point that we need to talk about Murata is it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him and Hazard play with Sesk in a five-man midfield moving forward. And I think we still have not had a chance to see, you know, where, where Murata, I think, is having to bear the burden of being the creative outlet on this team right now and, you know, being the primary striker and not... The, uh, the super substitute, which, you know, he, he's kind of had that mantle for a little bit with his time at Real Madrid. So I, I think he's adapting. I think we still signed the best striker this summer for what Conte and the system is trying to do. And I, I think he's you know already come good with some really exceptional goals and assists. So, you know, we, we can't all have a, a perfect day at work every day. So I, I think Murata will continue to adapt, especially with uh, a coach that he really looks up to and admires being the person who's instructing him. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap up social media questions uh, with this post from Ugo on Facebook. He says, is this a turning point like last season's 3-0? Maybe after which Conte always uses Conte and Bakayoko against bigger teams? And if not, any constructive ideas how we can force Conte to do so? I'm down with a short hunger strike if anyone else is. Modic <laughs> Conte worked last season for the big games. Now he's trying to reinvent the wheel. Even if he wants to keep Fab happy, he can play a 3-5-2. 
All right. So with that being said, guys, if you have ideas, Ugo's ready to make Conte play Conte Bakayoko anytime points are needed. I look. Good luck with that hunger strike. I don't really think that Antonio Conte is one to kind of kowtow to to uh, uh, a you said player short. fans fans yeah. demand. Uh, uh, here's the thing, at, Nick. It, it, would you be willing to undergo a, a whiskey strike? Oh God, no! How else do you get through these things? No. Oh yeah. No, yeah, no, agreed. no, no. That, that's a terrible idea. Uh, for all of our listeners, don't do that. Yeah, forego food first. <laughs> As we've noted, we are not professionals in any of these areas. So, with that being said, guys, we do have some exciting information uh, continuing to come out about our trips to London. So, you want to check that out real quick. And when we're back. We got a big preview for Nottingham Forest. You're gonna love it. Here we go. Hey Dan, um, you know, do we do we have some exciting news coming up for uh, possible uh, Stanford Bridge trips this year? Yeah, we're in the last stages uh, of just getting some some sign-offs on our trip over to London to Stanford Bridge to see Newcastle, Perhaps. which may not be super exciting. I mean, there is the Rafa factor. And then potentially, on top of that, uh, actually, yeah, uh, Atletico Madrid in a uh, mm. Champions League champions, champions. midweek yeah. appearance. Yeah, no, that, I mean, so that's the first one. The second one may have a certain North London rival at, at home uh, in, in the later part of the season. Uh, essentially, look for, for news to break on this early um and today is the 17th, uh, early the week of uh, the 18th. Uh, so tomorrow or Tuesday, uh, we're just finalizing some details on our trips with XL Tours. Pricing, payment plans, uh, itineraries, everything that you'll need uh, to come take uh, a trip or two with us this year will be available. Um, and then obviously, if you have any questions, uh, you know, we're going to have the website set up uh, to kind of answer some frequently asked stuff. But Always message us on Facebook, on Twitter, email, smoke signal, uh, carrier pigeon, whatever you got. So uh, we're really excited about this, Dan. It should be a freaking amazing time again. Yeah, you know, we, we love going to London. Fact. We love Chelsea. Double fact. Uh, we love doing it with you guys. Triple fact. So uh, stay tuned for more information this week. It's a rare day that you get a triple fact. So, boom. All right, as we mentioned, our next match for Chelsea, it's going to be a quick turnaround. We're playing Nottingham Forest, a championship club, in the third round of the EFL Cup at Stamford Bridge. Thankfully, we're still at home, and it's going to be on Wednesday, September 20th. Uh, The last results for Nottingham Forest, Nick, have been a little up and down. Now, this is what they've done in the you know in the EFL Cup first, right? So Shrewsbury, then Newcastle. How did that go? So they uh, beat Shrewsbury Town, two one. Beat Newcastle, which is you know not nothing, three uh, two in extra time. Currently, Brandon, I'm I'm just going down my fact sheet here. Uh, in the championship, they're tenth. Uh, you know, so kind of mid table. Uh, and look, you know, to to get this far to play Chelsea is is no you know no laughing matter. You know, we have to take them seriously. They already beat a Premier League squad, so. That's what we got. I mean, they're they're, uh, they're you know not a not a big club as as they used to be back in the 
you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, but they're, you know, they're still uh, they're still fighting for this uh, for this cup. Obviously, they're probably felt a little hard done getting two Premier League teams back to back in these early rounds. But, hey, you got to beat the best to win it all, Dan. And that's what we have to do as Chelsea. <laughs> Just yeah. kidding. We should get the three points, obviously. But what I want to talk to you about is mainly about maybe what lineup changes we can expect. Uh, I threw some ideas out there, but what do you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you put Willie C coming in. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, Courtois got a Champions League match off, so I, I don't really count that 90 minutes as being played. Um, and plus, you know, I mean, we, we kind of even thought, you know, against Carabag would be potentially the moment where Caballero would get a chance to come in, and, and maybe you see the rotation there. I'm not necessarily sure if that's going to be what happens. Um, you know, John Terry did post on Musana's Instagram, um, that, uh, something to the effect of good luck on Wednesday. So I think Musanda could be a really good shout for an opportunity. And, you know, Christensen, uh, is going to have to happen because Luis is no longer <laughs> an option. So, yep. and, and Hazard has kind of been tipped by Conte as, as someone who's going to get some, some minutes so uh, you are uh, you're just like a uh, a soothsayer a, a seer of the future uh, a predictor you know one of those things from minority report that sat in the tub of liquid and, and predicted the future mm. uh, precog yeah. uh, that, that's what you are brandon well you know i wear many hats nick but what do you think uh any kind of left field ones i think the musanda would be a big one i don't think we're gonna see kennedy anytime soon yeah, I'd be really surprised about Kennedy. Um, you know, you'll see Zappacosta come back in most likely. Um, Rudiger. Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, yeah, maybe for Dave, you know, uh, Dave needs a little bit of rest. I mean, if Musanda doesn't play here uh, with with Hazard, uh, who we know will be a change, um, that would be pretty damning on him because this is like the competition for, for him to come in. You would also expect that uh, Mishi would get minutes here as yeah. well. Um, you know, and, you know, the, this would also be in a really ideal situation to bring Drinkwater in, but he's he's injured and we don't have depth there. So, yay. Kyle Scott, uh, it's your time. Yeah. <laughs> Awaken Kyle Scott. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we'll see a lot of transition. We have a a big month ahead. We need as as uh, as much rest for for some of our uh, stalwarts as possible. I think it'll be interesting. We just touched on the fact that we could have an all Belgian attacking trio, which would be kind of nuts. Um, the midfield, especially after this week, will be interesting to see how that forms. You'd assume Fabregas would have plenty of time to uh, pick out passes against Nottingham Forest if he wants. Um, and then the last thing is, I just want to point out, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but uh, Alonso is one of the only defenders to not have really sat any minutes at this point. So I wonder if Conte takes that into account with Moses having sat against Karabakh. So uh, with that being said, let us know what you guys think. Uh, it's quick turnaround. Like I said, no shortage of Chelsea matches this month. So we want to you know, make sure you guys are informed and up to date on all of it. But with that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode as we always do with final thoughts. Dan, lead us on out. Paul Canneville, who is uh, also affectionately known as you know many fans and supporters as King Canners, uh, big uh, you know kind of presence here in the Chelsea America, um, 
you know, just really undergoing some poor health right now. And uh, some friends of uh, the show, you know, friends of, I think, the Chelsea community have put together a little GoFundMe page that we'll tweet out. But, uh, you know, it's uh, always unfortunate to see someone kind of struggling through uh, a health crisis and, uh, you know, just positive thoughts and, and feelings and uh, prayers as well. Absolutely. Uh, friend of the pod, guest, and all around um, huge Chelsea guy through and through. Uh, Nick, what about you, man? Yeah, I just wanted to shout out all the all the chapters across the country um, who are who are Chelsea in America chapters or or independent chapters either way. But uh, have seen some incredible uh, banner shirt. Uh, scarf designs coming through. I mean, it's it's pretty empowering for American Chelsea fans to have such a, a cool community to be a part of, to go down to the pub, to know that you're going to see like-minded folks doing the right thing, uh, supporting Chelsea. And, uh, you know, just a, a major shout-out to Chelsea in America. Um, you know, again, we're all members. If you're not uh, looking to becoming a member, uh, go down to your local pub. Uh, they have a pub finder on their website. Uh, and, and look, uh, to John and, and to Allison and to uh, the rest of the crew who kind of heads up that group, uh, you guys are doing the Lord's work, so keep it on up. Absolutely. And if you don't have a chapter, start a chapter. That's how it works. Uh, Okay, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Again, Chelsea fans, thank you so much for joining us as always. You've been amazing. We appreciate all the support we get from you all. Uh, But until next time, don't miss it. Midweek. Get your sick day schedule now because we'll be back. Until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the London is Blue podcast covering everything related to Chelsea FC. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to submit your questions. And if you like this episode, a five-star review in the iTunes store would help other Chelsea fans find us.